COVID-19. Gosh, I, I'm so looking forward to the day that I can come on the air and not say those words. COVID-19, virus, flatten the curve. Oh, unprecedented times, or Stephen Donnelly's favourite line, uh, tipping point. That, that's a good one, isn't it? We're, we're, so, we're so looking forward to those times. Well, where are we going with COVID-19? It doesn't seem we're going anywhere at the moment. And, of course, uh, Michal Martin said, obviously, he will take to the steps, make an announcement in relation to April the 5th. Most likely, that announcement will probably be just before Easter weekend. I'm predicting it may be on the Thursday rather than the Friday, because that would be Good Friday. And I'm going to make a little bit of a prediction, although they're suggesting they may extend the 5K to 10K. I think the other little prediction was there might be a little bit of a a green shoot in there, maybe a little bit of gaslighting to the Christians of the country. He might suggest, or he may suggest, uh, that people are allowed to go to Mass on Easter Sunday. That might be a little bit of a gaslight, you know what I mean? Because that's what they like to do every now and again. Um, so um, that's just my prediction, by the way. One man who believes there really isn't a plan is the former Minister for Justice, former Taunister, and uh, Senator Michael McDool, who joins, uh, joins me on the line. Michael, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Niall. Michael, I mean, I'm looking at the Irish Times piece here, and I know you were on the radio this morning, and you say there isn't a plan at the moment, or you don't see the plan there. They suggest there is a plan, and their plan is living with COVID, not going down the zero COVID route, but you don't see it like that. Well, I mean, I don't think zero COVID is feasible, and uh, living with COVID is something that we're going to have to do unless it is eradicated uh, completely, which we can't do. And um, bearing in mind that we are uh, now... um, effectively one year in in economic lockdown with a few uh, patches in between. I think we have to have uh, some structured idea as to how we get out of this. And the point I was making in the article now is this. I mean, we've just said, you know, that uh, 85-year-olds and 80-year-olds are to be vaccinated and they will be vaccinated in a couple of weeks and then it'll be 70-year-olds and then perhaps it'll be 60-year-olds. At what point do we decide Right, we have the vulnerable, people who are uh, on age grounds vulnerable, and people who, due to underlying conditions, are are vulnerable. All of them are vaccinated. At what point do we say, right, that's it? There is a risk. We haven't eradicated it completely, but the economy has to open up. Are we over-focused, because I did hear an interview yesterday, and I did hear Sam McConkey talking to you this morning, and I know you you put it to him as well in relation to this exaggerated risk. And I'm not not taking away from the fact that some people have died of COVID-19, but are we exaggerating the risk in the sense that I heard an interview with somebody from a care home the other day, and they were saying, well, even when everybody's vaccinated, we've noticed that less elderly people, say, have got the flu in the last six months, according to the HS. See, by the way, there has been no cases of the flu reported at all, which I find strange considering we have a friend who has CF who has been in hospital with the flu, but now and ever. Um, so, in other words, that we're saying that we have to then go, going forward, the suggestion was in care homes that we're always going to have to have PPE and restricted visits and all this kind of thing, that we've, we're basically changing the world to what we might be an exaggerated risk, according to Professor John Lee, pathologist in the UK, who suggests, say, for the under 60, there's very little risk anyway. And he also suggests that, you know, just two in every thousand die from COVID-19 who actually contract it, uh, which is a much lower mortality rate than we would have thought it was this time last year. And that we're uh, in the UK alone, they're losing a half a billion a day to the economy, which in turn costs lives. Well, I mean, that, that's a very good point. I mean, I, I don't want to sort of say that nobody's life matters or that uh, anybody's life is expendable. But in the last analysis, we don't close down road traffic because people die in, road, in car crashes. And we know statistically that in any given year, 200 people uh, will die in, 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 in road traffic accidents. And we have to make a decision at some stage as to whether Ireland as a society 
and it's an economy and a society, whether it can actually sustain, um, uh, you know, a, a, a permanent lockdown, a kind of a, a being frozen economically and socially uh, against the risk that uh, one in a thousand persons who gets infected will die. And that's the, that's the, uh, the, the trade-off we have to do in our own minds. And the Danes in Denmark, they have decided that once they get to a certain level of, of, of vaccination, that's it. Uh, it's it's goodbye to to, to the lockdown. They're, they're but going to but there's all these. I mean, we've got a litany of scientists in this country at the moment who've almost become famous over the last twelve months. And um, I suppose maybe they, some of them would suggest. Some people would suggest. Some of them like to hear the sound of their own voices. But in saying that, they are coming out with these statistics that say, well, if we don't take it more seriously, and even after the vaccination, sir, you have long COVID. Now I know Professor John Lee talked about long COVID. There's long every virus, by the way. We've just happened to give it a name at this stage. For example, when we had influenza, that could then in turn uh, lead to pneumonia, which in turn could leave scarring on the lungs. So all these viruses do have. They can have a long impact on some people. But we seem to. Have given everything a name and we're very focused on it and there was one thing that I, I wanted to point out to you and I don't know whether you read any of the reports that have been out recently by um, different I, I know some uh, the Lancet had one and there was a few other reports about lockdowns and their effectiveness and one of the main major reports ended with a conclusion that said it should be pointed out that since the full lockdown strategies are shown to have no impact on the epidemic slowdown one should consider the potentially high inherent death toll as a net loss of human lives in other words we're not considering how many people are impacted uh, like a lady I'll be speaking to tomorrow by the way who's at stage 4 cancer and not getting treatment how many people have been impacted by lockdowns as a net loss of COVID-19 Well that's a hugely important point now because I mean, obviously, uh, for somebody in their 80s, uh, if their life is shortened by COVID uh, on a statistical basis, it's still their life and they lose it. So I'm not, I'm not just suggesting that, uh, you know, that uh, mortality figures can just be uh, uh, bandied around without looking to the actual realities. This is my grandfather, this is my father, or whoever it may be. But uh, what I am saying is that uh, you look at the effect of lockdown on cancer treatment, and we, we, we hear today that the cancer treatment is, uh, program in Ireland is badly affected by lockdown. Uh, you look at uh, the, the uh, people who just will not go to hospital because they are suffering from uh, you know, uh, other conditions and they don't want to get involved in the, in the health system at the moment for fear of contracting lockdown, or sorry, uh, COVID, uh, virus, yeah. COVID. So, I mean, they, there, are, there are so many people who are um, uh, at the moment suffering the side effects of COVID in, in terms of physical health and psychological health. Um, that, uh, you know, there, this is not um, simply a COVID crisis. And, and by the way, I don't want to dismiss the thousands of people who sadly have lost their lives. By yeah. the way, many of those lives have been lost with many underlying conditions before somebody pulls me up on it and many have been directly through COVID-19. And I don't want to dismiss that. But I think the point you're making is that we have to take into consideration the unquantifiable amount of deaths that would come out of fate, even out of simple things like job loss, which causes despair and poverty. Exactly. Uh, and those in- internally can actually shorten somebody's life. All those things have to be, you know, we have to measure all those things. And I don't think we're doing that at the moment. In, in relation to, I suppose, this idea that, you know, as some of these scientists have said, uh, including Sam McConkie and many others, that we have to continue after the, the vaccine rollout. And once we get down, if we ever get down to the uh, under 40s, uh, that we have to continue this social distancing, wearing masks, uh, maybe no events or football matches or big events, you know, for the next two to three years. Or this could be with us for a long time. I even heard the head of the HSE suggest uh, shaking hands will become a thing of the past. 
How do you feel when you hear all well, those things? Well, I mean, Sam McConkey said today, and I was a bit uh, surprised by it, but uh, he said, um, you know, we don't, we, we, uh, you can't disregard long COVID. But the interviewer, um, uh, Kira Kelly, Kira Kelly said, yeah. she put it to him. Who's very, a doctor, very, by the way. Yeah, she put it to him uh, very straightly that we didn't close down the economy because of long COVID. You know, the the deal was to save lives uh, and to stop a, a plague, effectively, from wiping out a substantial portion of our population. So, I mean, we do have to take, we do have to bear in mind that uh, the younger um, people in Ireland, that the chances of them um, dying or suffering severe uh, consequences from COVID are very, very small. Well, well, statistically, they're less than the flu. Yeah. When you're talking about that cohort of people, the, well, the younger people. But even then, I, I'm, and I didn't say this in my article today, and I didn't get a chance to say it in the interview today, but I am convinced that uh, the, you know, uh, if you talk, talk about school kids between 12 and 18, they are six times more likely to uh, become infected and pass infection than kids under that age, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, younger children. Uh, now, we have decided that we must reopen our schools, and I fully support that. But anybody who's... Uh, I don't, I, I'm slightly suspicious, I have to say, of, of the NFIT people coming on saying that there's no evidence that schools are a significant contributor to the spread of infection in the community. I think it's almost inevitable they are, but we, it's a price we have to pay. We cannot keep kids... Well, we don't live in a perfect... Year, yeah. we, we don't live in a perfect clinical society yeah. or clinical yeah. world. Yeah. Unfortunately, as human beings, I believe that we take a risk every day we walk out the street. Should I take a risk yeah. when I sit in my car but this me, afternoon? But, but anybody who sees school kids, and I live in a part of Dublin where there are a fair few schools, and they're all, uh, they're all, they don't wear masks as they're walking mm. home together from school. Everybody knows that. Whatever, I, I, I don't know what goes on in the classroom, but I presume they wear masks in the classroom. Uh, in but, secondary school, yeah. In secondary schools. But I mean, the truth is that, uh, that, that uh, uh, if, if COVID is, is, be, is out there, it's, it's being spread through, through uh, 17-year-olds just as much as it is through 21-year-olds. I mean, Michael, in relation to Neffet's role uh, so far, a lot of people are suggesting that the government are not running the country anymore, uh, that the country has been run by Tony Holan and Ronan Glynn and mem- Philip Nolan and members of Neffet. Um, there's been a suggestion that Neffet should have been changed many times throughout this whole year. In other words, change the members to get a different thinking rather than the echo chamber, maybe that's within it at the moment. Do you believe Neffet are doing a good job? I mean, obviously, public health is their interest, but then the government have to make a decision, you know, on social health and mental health. So do you believe they're doing a good Good job. Well, I mean, public health is not just COVID. Public health is um, things like cancer rates in the community, all of that, uh, heart conditions, um, psychiatric health, psychological well-being. All of those are, are, are public health issues. Have they been well. ignored, Michael? But, but I think I think it, it is the case that I mean, and you'd only have to take a look at the news coverage of the, of the press conferences. I've never attended one of the press conferences myself. But you'd, you'd have to come to the conclusion now that the um, that the, the focus is totally on control of this virus and nothing and, else. And and. Uh, um, so it does what, almost what, what seem like mean? nothing else matters, Michael, at the moment. No, but I, I, I am fully supportive of there being an expert body which is totally concerned with, the, with, 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 uh, with this virus. I think it's, it's that serious. I accept that. But it doesn't mean that that's the only input into government thinking. And, you know, um, uh, I, just, I just feel that the focus, the government is there to make decisions for the entire community. And that's for people under the age of 40 as well as people over the age of 60, which I'm in that category. Well, but I mean, can, can I mention, sir, Leo Rago, in the position you were in many years ago, has tarnished it before yeah. Christmas. 
uh, made a comment which he then quickly well seemed to retract somewhat he tends to speak out of both sides of his mouth quite a lot of the time but he did say that if, if Neffet were making uh, or were earning 350 euro per week PUP payment they wouldn't be making the decisions they're making and, and we all know of course that COVID-19 the line we're all in this together is a bit of a nonsense because we're really not all in this together. A third of the population are making more money than they ever made before. There's a third of the population not really financially affected by it because they're either pensioners or public sector workers. And a third of the population possibly are private sector workers who are being decimated. But So we're not really all together. I mean, did Liglio was right in saying that or did he speak at a turn by turning around and saying, well, if Neffet were earning 350 a week, they wouldn't be making these decisions? Well, I, I don't want to personalise it uh, to that. And I, I actually do think that, you know, Tony Holland and... Um, uh, his colleagues uh, would, uh, Ronan Glynn, would give the same advice uh, no matter what salaries they were on. Uh, but uh, but, but I, would, I would say is that um, there is a very substantial portion of Ireland, and I'm half in it and half out of it. As a lawyer, I'm, I'm in the private sector, uh, self-employed. As a senator, I'm in the public sector and get, get a cheque. But there is, there is a section of, the Irish, uh, of Irish society who are not suffering economically at the moment and uh, uh, who um, are complacent and they don't really understand what it is like to be a restaurateur or a, or a publican, to see your, all your life's investment, all your family's wealth just disappearing slowly down the plug hole and uh, to, to be given no opportunity at all uh, uh, to even hope for a particular time when you'll be able to reopen your business or, or try and pay off some of your debts. I mean, uh, the restaurant people were in, in the Iraq this, the, uh, yesterday and they were saying, you know, that half of restaurants will never reopen. And, uh, okay, there was, somebody else will take the lease on those premises and open another restaurant in them. But for each of those, uh, for, for the people involved who actually have put their whole life savings, um, uh, their whole uh, ambitions into a business, you know, their personalities in that business, and it's just lying on the floor in tatters. That kind of, that kind of person has a different perspective. Yeah, but the, uh, only, way, the only way to fix that, Michael, and, and I don't know how much longer this can go on for, and I believe the Irish people are tired, they're frustrated. Yeah. Uh, well, those who are affected primarily by this financially, I suppose, more than anything else, are tired. And, and I know everybody, by the way, I don't want to take it away from the fact that everybody's affected, that we can't go on holidays and stuff like that. But I think there, are, there is a third of the population more affected than others. Um, and, and I think they're tired, they're frustrated, they've become complacent. You know, this idea that, sure, we let you go 10 kilometres instead of five, this bit of gaslighting. Do you think this well, really can go any further than April the 5th? Well, I, I, I share your pessimism about, uh, about the April the 5th. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, I would put money like you on something to do with um, uh, opening up churches and uh, moving five kilometres to ten kilometres. But I mean... Which is really not going to make any difference in people's lives. Or in mine, does five or ten kilometres mean anything? I mean, I, I go for cycles, I go for walks... And I mean, it really doesn't matter. No. The, uh, the, well, I, the, well the by the way, system. I'm in a very lucky position, Michael, compared yeah. to most people, because I am a necessary worker. I get to go in and out to work every day. I go more than five kilometers. So I'm, I, I don't know how that feels for other people. So and I'm sure it's quite frustrating. Before you go, um, and, and I know I can see your views, certainly when it comes to COVID-19. I, d- I don't know if many people believe there's a light at the end of the tunnel in this country. Other countries like Germany, for example, has suggested a lockdown for Easter weekend. But because of the public backlash and the political backlash, they've now retracted that. So the, the, And Britain have already said there will be no more lockdowns when this one ends. And by the way, they are motoring on. 27 vaccines per second they're giving out. Uh, we have seemed to be failing miserably when it comes to this vaccine rollout. Uh, there's a lot of people's faults, or a lot of people at fault for that. But 
getting back to something completely different, I might catch you off guard just on, on this question. <laughs> Curveball uh, coming. Out no, here. <laughs> no, it's completely nothing to do with COVID nineteen. But it seems I have you on the air. I just wanted to mention it uh, because I do remember talking to you, and I think the last time I actually interviewed you was on another radio station a long, long time ago when you would propose the two thousand and four refer- referendum on citizenship. Now, yeah. I'm sure lately you have watched the Labour Party of Anabachikas uh, talking about the pathway to citizenship, which essentially contravenes the result of that particular referendum, which was passed with an 80% majority at the time. Um, I suppose it's backdoor legislation, people would refer to it as. What's your feelings on that, considering you were the one who actually proposed that referendum back in 2004? Well, first of all, it was part of the programme for government that we would uh, have a referendum if it was necessary to deal with the issue which had arisen. Uh, which arose from a, a, a European case, the Chen case, which arose in England, where, uh, and I think people forget about this, a Chinese couple uh, who wanted to stay in England uh, took a look at the law, took a look at the Irish Constitution, uh, went to Belfast uh, so that they would have a child, and then made the case in the European courts that uh, they were entitled to remain in the European Union as their child was a European Union citizenship by virtue of Irish law, even though they at all stages were in the UK mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, and uh, they, never, they never put a, a foot into uh, the Republic. Um, but the issue, uh, and by the way, the only effect of the, of, the, um, of the referendum was to simply say this, that... It's not Ireland, an automatic right. That, that, that Ireland, like all the other member states of the European Union, didn't confer absolute right to citizenship simply because uh, um, uh, somebody who was temporarily in the state gave birth to a child in the state. Because of, because of all of the uh, things that flow from that, including the right of the family to reside with the child, right of family reunification, people coming from abroad to, um, uh, to uh, join their parents mm-hmm. because the parents had a child. 80% of the Irish people voted for that. And the, what, the, what, the, what the referendum did was to say that it's up to the Oireachtas to decide whether uh, in those circumstances, citizenship does or does not um, um, uh, um, attach to a child born in Ireland. That's all that we decided. Eighty percent of people saw the common sense of that at the time. What happened? What is happening now is that the Labour Party are saying, right? Well, the Oireachtas can decide. So let's let's confer citizenship on every child who's born anywhere in Ireland, no matter what the circumstances. Now, I'm fully in favour of allowing the Oireachtas to decide. Where the, who precisely gets citizenship and in what circumstances. I don't think the Chen family should get citizenship uh, if, if it's a premeditated effort simply to get citizenship in order to stay in England uh, as a result mm-hmm. of Irish and European law. So, I mean, um, it's a matter for, for, for the Oireachtas to do it. But people said at the time it was a racist referendum. It was wrong. I remember. I remember it, the whole conversation it, at the time. It, 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 By the way, it, that still is the case. If you would disagree with the Labour Party and of Alabama, oh yeah, you're, 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 you're a racist. You're a crypto racist. Yeah. I stand, I mean, I stand with the 80% of Irish people who saw the sense of, uh, of the whole thing that uh, citizenship is a serious matter. And you can't just simply uh, be the only country in Europe that says no matter what the circumstances are, if a child is born in Ireland. There's, the a, pa- there's a pathway to citizenship, yes. The, chi- the child is a citizen. Uh, give the child a pathway if you want to, uh, under, the, under legislation and give the parents of the child a pathway to citizenship. But once you say the child is absolutely, from the moment of birth, a citizen, you give the parents the right to reside in Ireland with that citizen, except in very limited circumstances, and then you uh, create um, all the problems 
uh, that would that would. That, that we, we did see all those problems back in the early part of two thousand. Yeah, so, of course. So, I mean, uh, going back to that one, it's not a curvy bowl, really. For me, for me now, I am absolutely clear that we made the right decision in 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 uh, in, in two thousand and four. We flagged it in the programme for government in 2002 that we would take constitutional um, steps if it was necessary to deal with the issue that had arisen in Chen. And, uh, you know, um, if, if the, if the uh, members of the Oireachtas, um, both houses, want to confer citizenship on any particular, in any particular circumstance, in any particular child, they can do so. But I tell you where all this became uh, kind of inflamed was when a, a child who was about 10, I think, uh, who had been living in Ireland uh, in in in, uh, in Bray was mm-hmm. uh, was uh, uh, his family was was ordered. a young Chinese boy yeah yeah, yeah it was 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 was, of order, was ordered to be deported. There's first of all, the minister has a discretion in all of these matters. So you I, look at each indi- what you're saying is you look, you look at, at each, each individual, individual case, case. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and you don't just make some sort of blanket rule that, that, that everybody that, has that, that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, yeah, I'm just looking at the case here. You're, uh, obviously, you're talking about the, the case of uh, Eric, little, the little Chinese boy, Eric, which actually has I mean, brought I mean, this whole piece of legislation about. It was about. a sad case. Uh, I, mean, I, I, I mean, it must have been a bit of a fright for the child of course. school to be told. You're Who knows nothing, by the way? But, and in relation to that particular child, he knows nothing apart from Ireland. But, 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 He's but, never but, been but, to China, but, I don't think, but, actually. But remember this, remember this, that if that child had been born in England and had come to Ireland at the age of one week, the exact same circumstances could have arisen. And, uh, and, I mean, it's not a constitutional issue. It's a legislative issue and it's okay. a ministerial issue. Well, no, well, well I, I think you've, you've nailed your colours to the mask. You stand with the 80% of people who voted in, yeah. in relation to that referendum. Listen, thank you very much. Thank you, I appreciate you coming on the air, Michael McTool. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, all right, well, there you go. Michael McTool, I'm sure, is not the only person in the whole country, by the way, who is absolutely, I suppose, frustrated by the lack of a plan by the government, the Irish government. Now, Micheál Martin, of course, will take to the steps most likely next Thursday or Friday to let us know what little gas he's going to do on April the 5th. Uh, the suggestion is that he might increase the uh, the 5 kilometre to 10 kilometre. Woohoo! I mean, what are you going to do with that? Go an extra 5 kilometre? So that's not going to get you very far anyway. And, and most countries, by the way, don't have uh, restrictions on limits on how far you can go. I don't think actually any countries do any. Even in Northern Ireland, there's never been a restriction on how far you can go because it doesn't seem to make a huge amount of difference in relation to case numbers anyway. But anyway, that's Neffet's decision and Michal Martin's decision. I do... I'm going to predict there will be a bit of gaslighting for the Catholic Church and they will allow people to go to Mass for Easter Sunday just to keep people happy otherwise they'll they'll believe there'll be consternation over that Um, but apart from that nothing else is really going to happen because we're so far behind with the vaccination programme nothing else is going to happen